Everybody, 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 drop your buff, stop, 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 Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And we have a brand new season of Survivor premiered last night. We are talking Survivor 43, episode one. The episode is called Livin, L-I-V-I-N. Two exclamation marks and a happy face. Evan, what did you think of the premiere? High level thoughts. Okay, well, wait, before we get into that, though, just welcome to any new listeners, as I'm sure we'll have some new listeners trickling in to join us for our 43 recap. Well, let me start by asking you something. I mean, it's the start of a new Survivor season. Mm -hmm. You've done this many a time. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you feel, not about specifically season 43, but just about a new Survivor season? What's the temperature? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I think that at this point, I mean, I I did this tweet yesterday, uh, (laughs) sort of saying, like, I'm ready for another week of pretending to like modern Survivor. And that's pretty much how I feel. Like, I mean, a new Survivor season used to be a very momentous occasion in my life. And of course, as I have talked about on this podcast many, many times before, I kind of like took a step back post Game Changers and in fact stopped watching altogether until winners at war have of course gone back and caught up on those seasons that i missed but i think the magic was sort of lost for me um, by game changers and so while i appreciate sort of like the routine of being back in survivor i mean i've literally been doing this since the year 2000 so you know the routine is comfortable and it feels nice to have this thing back that okay there's going to be a new episode every week and we can talk about it and that's kind of like exciting but I mean, the, the idea of like, do I feel like I'm going to come into a really incredible season? I mean, the bar is low at this point. So I don't know that I really, really have the same excitement that I used to have. Um, but I mean, like, I'm happy to have this back. And especially with the po- I like, I think the podcast has really changed things for me. Because uh, I think if we didn't have this podcast, I might not even be watching, to be totally honest with you. But I do love to talk about the show, and I love to talk about the evolution of the show and the history of the show. And so, like, that's sort of the perspective that I'm coming at this with, that I have something new. I recognize we're in the new era. I recognize that the show has changed dramatically from the show that I fell in love with in the early seasons. And when I say early, I kind of mean one to 20. And so I'm recognizing that for what it is and sort of ready to take one step back and look at, okay, well, then what is this new season all about? Do I think that it's going to be the top any of those seasons one to 20? Not really. Um, even Thailand, you know, I have a place <laughs> in my heart for Thailand, despite all of its uh, flaws and issues. But, um, you know, I think like I've had fun in the post 40 era. I've had fun. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to more fun. Mm. Well, this makes me think uh, of this idea that, you know, I I had um, Papa John's pizza 
several weeks ago. It was okay. like a late night. I got home and none of like the local New York City pizza shops uh, were still delivering at that hour. And I had the Papa John's and I had this moment like after I ordered it where I was like, oh my God, like I can't believe I grew up thinking that this was pizza. <laughs> But at the same time, it was very serviceable, right? Like it tasted good. It did what I needed it to do um, with the understanding that there's so much superior pizza out there. And that's kind of how I feel about modern. And, and I think it's worth saying like modern survivor as a term can mean many things mm -hmm. because, you know, we could call the 30s modern survivor and we often do. And I think when we use it in this context, we're saying 41 plus. Mm -hmm. as like the most modern survivor, but it's certainly uh, serviceable. It's very Papa John's in its nature. And there are those sort of like benchmarks of survivor that I think we can still look forward to. There's something about, you know, seeing Jeff announce the new season and having the camera zoom out and do that wide shot that although it's lost its epicness through the years, I still depend on it. And I'm glad that it sort of like feeds me in that way. But to your point, I imagine that I probably, if we didn't have this podcast, I think I would still be watching, but I think I would probably mainline the season after the fact as opposed to do it weekly. Um, and I do wonder how that would change the viewing experience mm. because I never, until 41, I never dealt with like cliffhangers. That was never a part of how I experienced the show. Uh, and also there were seasons I did in you know, one sitting, met the person and they were out of my life within a 24 hour period. Whereas this is this week long journey and we dissect and, and whatnot. Um, but I think we're on the same page. I think that like, we're excited. I think, if, correct me if you feel differently, I am more excited for this podcast and to talk about Survivor season 43 than I am to watch Survivor 43, but there's also nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I agree. I think I was thinking about this yesterday of like, what does Survivor have going for it? Because they've made so many changes to the game itself that many of which I don't love. And, uh, and I think they've actually done a decent job. Like I'm, I'm hopeful after this premiere that they're starting to correct some of those things with maybe the number of advantages that are floating around. I think they have found a way to um, bring that number down a little bit, at least. I mean, like, I don't want to speak for the whole season yet because I'm sure they still have some tricks up their sleeves but I do feel like you know that they are starting to correct those things but even still uh, you know just the number of advantages and the game of luck that it has become um, is not really the game the game that I fell in love with but I think what it does have going for it is the casting because uh, we did go through a very dire period of survivor casting where uh, we just had some very, very homogenous casts in the 20s and 30s, and many of whom just like there weren't personalities. Um, and so I think that in the new era, the 41 and 42 and 43, from what we've seen, you know, I think what that does have going for it is the cast, because we are getting a little bit more diversity. And, and uh, of course, we have uh, racial diversity, but we also have I think diversity of background, diversity of thought. And I think that that is like what Survivor is based on. My complaint about this premiere is the lack of diversity in age. I think I really noticed that. This did feel like a very, very young cast. Um, and so, you know, there's that moment where one of the Vesey tribe, I believe, is building their shelter and the shelter collapses. And as their shelter collapses, they happen to get fire at the same time. And it's like a cute, funny moment. But I, I noticed that everybody 
in the tribe is like just kind of giggling. Like they have the nerves of being on TV and they have, you know, they're just in this bizarre situation and their re- their reaction is to giggle. And I sort of wondered like if all of these people were 15 years older, I think we'd be seeing a different scene. And mm-hmm. even if there was like two more people who were over 40 in that scene, uh, I think we would have like a slightly different dynamic where, you know, they wouldn't all have the TV jitters. Uh, some of them might be taking it really seriously and there might be a clash of personalities in the way that people are dealing with these issues of trying to get on their feet as a new tribe. So that's the only piece of diversity I'm missing. But otherwise, I think that they've done a really good job of like casting interesting people. Maybe the backstories like are a little bit much for me. Like everybody's got a story that'll break your heart. And uh, yeah, so yeah, but but all that to be said, I think everyone is making for good TV. They're all good confessionalists. And, you know, like I've said, our, our big complaint very often is the people who uh, in confessionals are too TVE, like they're too big brother, they're too, uh, it almost feels scripted, where I think that we actually got quite a few people like, I thought Lindsay was a real breath of fresh air. Um, I thought that Carla was a really, really great confessionalist because I mean she had that one confessional talking about how she felt like nobody was going to want to work with her because she didn't have the physical strength at least you know like on a surface level uh, when you meet her and it was kind of like this vulnerable moment and it wasn't presented to us as like you know in the sort of like Adam Klein style of confessionals where she's like shouting it at the camera it just felt like very genuine that she was just talking I could feel, sense her vulnerability in like the tone and volume of her voice and I think that that's re- a really nice refreshing break we still get some of those people I think like Sammy and Cody are a little bit like over the top but uh, it's nice to see that they are casting more as I would call them like regular people hmm Okay, I don't know if I quite agree. I feel like, yes, I think certainly in the 30s, we had this influx of recruits and that's and homogenous cast members, as you said, that sort of bogged us down. I do feel like in some, way, some ways we've skewed too far into fans of the show. Mm. And I do feel like there's either a balance or something that's neither recruit nor fan. I don't know if that's like casual viewer of the show or more like adventure seeking human being um, who again, some maybe falls somewhere in the middle or, or somewhere different entirely because I feel like we get so many of these people talking about how they've watched the show their whole life. And I just think that sure, there are some ways in which that gives you an advantage in the game, I guess. Um, But there are also ways in which like knowing nothing about this game can be a huge Mm -hmm. advantage. And there are just so many familiar beats hit like the, the one guy like lying about his age or the other guy lying about his job. And it's sort of like, have we seen this to be effective? I mean, like I, I, I can understand the age one in particular, but that guy being like, I'm a salesperson and I'm not going to tell them I'm a salesperson as though that holds any weight, good or bad, is very strange. And so going back to like, there are some familiar beats I like, for instance, the pullout of Jeff saying Survivor 43, camera pulls back. But then there are also these beats of like the, I'm going to tell them I'm this, but I'm not this. 
But then there's some like moments of subverting the familiar beats where you have the the one cast member and pardon me, they're 18 cast members, so it's gonna take me a beat. Um, but she was saying, you know, you have people coming on here saying I'm loyal, but I'm not afraid to backstab someone, and then she subverted that by saying, no, wait, I actually want to make friends on the show. Right, which that's I Mariah love that. who got voted Mariah. out tonight. Yeah. However, I have to be honest with you, I that felt a little scripted for me. Yeah. To your point about these confessionals, like some new things, or, or some of them being great at confessionals, I agree, this is a great cast of confessionalists, almost sometimes to a point where I was sort of like, that's such a good quote that they're saying that I was like, I wonder if that was either handed to them or or coerced from them in some way. And then can I say one other quick thing about this mm-hmm. cast? So this is a great cast. I think we're agree. this is exciting. I will say this, I'm gonna say it once, I won't repeat it again. This is a cast of heroes. These these are 18 Mm -hmm. heroes that have been cast on this show. I like villains. And so I think something that is very much missing from this cast that was missing from 41 and 42 and that I think is more more likely than not going to be missing from the show from here on out is true villains. It's not that I don't love these people or or I think that they have a place on the show, but... I sort of like the curmudgeons, not all of them, but I, I often enjoy the television that they make, and I think that those players make the heroes more fun to root for. Whereas when it came down to this elimination, I was kind of like, well, I like all six of these people. I don't really want to see any of them go. I don't. Lo- that's not my favorite way to watch Survivor. I like it when I'm like, oh my god, I can't wait for that asshole to get booted off. And I don't feel that way about any of these players, and that's just a distinct shift that... I miss my villains. Yeah, it's interesting because they used to talk about casting people who wouldn't get along in real life. And sometimes that led to unlikely friendships like, um, uh, oh my God, her name is slipping my mind, but Courtney and uh, the religious lady on China, right? Who they are still friends. Um, Oh my God, what is her name? Doesn't matter. I don't know, (laughs) but like, are we looking it up? No. No. Uh, and then, um, if you're listening, this is going to be like running through my mind for the rest of the podcast. I'm going to be stumbling, but uh, that like led to unlikely friendships. But then in other cases, like it, it, it genuinely led to real fireworks. And that was a point of casting. And I don't think they do that anymore. Now to your point, it's, um, like everybody has a really, really inspirational story. Somehow they all tie back to survivor. It's like, I was on my deathbed and I, watched Survivor, and uh, and now I, I am dead, yet I live. I was uh, going to say, it's almost like I literally died and I came back to play this game. <laughs> I heard Jeff say, dig deep, and I dug deep. Um, so it's a, yeah, it's a, like a little force for me. And so we did have, like, I, I do think that, this is, so for example, in Survivor 41, we had Shan as a villain, but the difference between Shan as a villain and some of the other villains is like, it was tongue in cheek and we were brought into her villainry. So we were cheering for her to, you know, take JD's advantage or right. whatever she was up to that week. Yeah, um, she was and giving then Walter we were White. given her backstory. And then so we sympathized with her. And and I'm open to having like nuanced villains that we feel that we can feel multiple things about at once. But I don't think that they've quite perfected that in the modern era, the the new era, as they're calling it. Mm. And I'm open to that. There could be a villain on here. Like, I think that, uh, I think that, I don't know what Ellie was up to in this episode with forming a women's alliance with Janine and Mariah and then rallying to get Mariah voted out. Um, But I think there are shades potentially of villainry there. But I think we also just don't know the full story of that, that boot. We don't. And also, this is one of my complaints about doing these tribes of six. There's just only so many ways it can Mm -hmm. go that 
even though you might have a genuinely strong alliance that you form, like I have no, I mean, I don't know, I could be wrong, but it seemed that that was in that moment. Like, I think that when there's six people, you can genuinely form alliances with people on opposing sides and be genuine in both encounters and not actually have it be like, I said I'm going with this person, but I'm actually thinking this. I think we got from multiple players in confessionals, them saying, I'm at a crossroads here because I like both of these alliances I'm in. And that's because it only takes three people to form a majority alliance because, I mean, you kind of have to get the, at least do something. You can't necessarily get a vote with three, but at least you have half the votes there. Whereas back in the day, when you had these eight or nine people on the tribes, you had to corral more people that might be fringe alliance members. Um, Before we continue... I'm gonna give you a guess as to the third boot from Survivor China. Uh, her name starts with an L. And this is the woman that I'm talking about? The religious woman? Yeah. I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> she was because on Salem. I, th- I could have swore it started with an N. Is there an N in it? Her last name starts with an N. Yes. She was a cast member on Saturday Night Live, this, fr- the, this first name. Um, oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, star of the Naked Gun franchise, film franchise. Oh, uh, <laughs> there's another name that escapes me. <laughs> um, uh, wait, hold on. That's a that's like a a boy's name. That's a girl's name, right? Uh huh. Um, um, do you know the TV show Popular? No. Okay. Yeah, it's a Ryan Murphy show. It's a good show. You know, honestly, this, this is not a very popular name for famous people. Okay, I'm, can I just tell you? Yeah. Leslie. Oh, f- yes. Okay. Bring Leslie, her back. like, niece or something? Leslie. Yeah, Leslie niece. Yes. Yeah. Not nephew. <laughs> okay. okay, let's get into this Great. recap. Yeah, let's get into the recap. <laughs> well, so, okay, uh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> no, you. I was go, just you gonna go, you do go. one of those. No, just to the point on on the villainry. I think like I think you're. I think what the problem is is back to the age diversity casting. I think if you had older people, older people are more comfortable stepping into the villain role. I think they care less about what people think about them, both on TV and their tribe mates. And so I think they're comfortable walking that path of like I'm gonna get what I want and I'm gonna get it however I need it. And I don't care if I piss people off in the process where I think both as a result of like the way that the game has evolved and the way that Final Tribal has evolved uh, uh, and the age of the people that you feel like you really have to like tiptoe around people and placate people and you have to be everybody's best friend. And I think that was what Mariah was getting at with being like, I'm going to be your best friend and then you're going to vote for me in the end and then we'll go out for pizza. Uh, Hopefully not Papa John's. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I think that like that's that's maybe part of the problem and, and, and now it's ingrained into the game because you do need those votes at the end although like there was a period here I don't know if we're getting out of it but there was a period there in the 20s and 30s sort of like post heroes versus villains that uh, the jury is willing to reward strong gameplay even at the cost of personal relationships like it was it was applauded as part of the game and then they left it in the game for the most part Mm-hmm. That seems to be going away a little bit, uh, at least from what I've seen in 41 and 42. Well, right. I mean, this goes back to this idea of like, I think that they're way more leaning into the family aspect of this show and the idea that I don't think that they want 
unlikable winners in the 40s. Like that seems, and this, this is not just Survivor. I think this is a larger shift in reality television on the whole, especially ones produced by your CBSs and your Paramount Pluses and like these behemoth networks. I think they want to feel like they're contributing to the culture uh, as opposed to being reductive to the culture. And I think this is the way in which they feel like it happens. So I think that you not only will you not see a lot of, you're not going to see a Russell Hance in modern Survivor. I think that will trickle down to even the winners. And I think that you want heroic winners. And I think that they got that. Um, they definitely got that. But it's amazing we haven't seen a Tony. Do you know what I mean? Like Tony is a villain to me. Like Tony is unlikable. I can applaud his gameplay, but I find him to be an unlikable character and he rubs people the wrong way. And that's mm-hmm. part of his gameplay. Yeah, but I mean, I I'm think shocked that-, that we haven't seen a Tony in 41, 42, 43. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I think that had Mike from 42 been a little bit more strategically minded, he had some potential mm-hmm. to be a little bit more Tony-like, but there's an aggression to Tony's game that we certainly don't get anymore. Um, but I did just want to talk about the the very, very opening of 42 before we like mm-hmm. get fully into the episode. 43. And 43, excuse me. I knew we weren't getting the theme song. I know we don't use yeah. it anymore, but I said it before, say it again, miss it so much. It's just such a bummer. It's this extremely famous song that is bigger than even Survivor. Non-fans of this show, people that have never even seen the show know this theme song. It's so strange not to bring it in, and it's one of those things that you could play at the very beginning of the episode and get people hype. Like, it's the it's the music that has you know you're back in the Survivor-verse. And so I know we got that flourish of the song mm-hmm. at the very beginning, and it was just, it was such a bummer not to hear it. And it makes me question, like, who is season 43 of Survivor for? Is it for longtime fans of the show, or is it is the hope always when they begin a new season of Survivor, when they're in the boardroom uh, with the whiteboard, or rather, when they're in Jeff's garage with the whiteboards, is the hope that this is... We're building this season as though it's for a new audience of Survivor, and that's why we want to make sure we go over all the rules and, like, you know, bring people like my mom who started watching in season 42. Is that the hope? Either way, I want my theme song. Yeah, I I did really like that we got the flourishes of it, and we didn't get it just at the beginning. Like, it was also at the end, and I think it was mixed in there a little bit. We got some good nods to Survivor history in the opening, but it's like all of that could have been achieved tenfold if you just gave us the damn song. Do you know what I mean? And uh, it certainly wasn't that they were lacking for time in this huh. episode <laughs> because we had two hours and one boot. And and to be honest with you, like I think two hours was too much for this episode. Um, like I, I love to get to know people. I think like that's invaluable, especially at the beginning of a season. But for one boot, I mean, typically we have two hour episodes and two people go home. Um, I, I heard on uh, Know It All's last night that this is the first two hour episode with one boot since Heroes versus Villains. Uh, and I don't know that like this uh, necessarily called for uh, that length of time, but it is what it is. But all that to be said, you know, we could have spent a minute on the song. And 
having said that, I recognize like I'm probably never going to get the song again unless it's like an extraordinary circumstance. The Legend season, season I was 15, say, maybe the Legend give season us a song. Will, will bring back the theme. But I did like some of the callbacks and even as cheesy as they may have been, like you had Owen saying he's always dreamt of seeing his name in the opening credits and they give him an opening credit. Now what we need is for in Survivor 45, everybody to go and say, I've dreamt of seeing my name in the opening credits. And then maybe we'll string together an opening credits. Uh, but I did like that. And then, you know what I really liked? And it was like a subtle moment where Jeff is explaining the game to us for the first of many times this episode. And he actually uses uh, some wording that he hasn't used in many, many years uh, that, uh, that I don't recall him using in a long time, where he said, you know, these whatever 18 strangers from different walks of life will form a new society uh, uh, where they make the rules uh, how fast it goes how slow it goes that new society language i think is like something that really hooked me in the early days of survivor i mean that's the entire premise uh, of this stranded on a desert island and creating a new society and building it and building forming your relationships and deciding how you're going to work together like that is the premise of survivor uh -huh. and that kind of got lost a little bit even just like not using that language that was significant to me and to hear jeff say that again uh, was really exciting and I thought a great nod to Survivor's past. And then, you know, like not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but, you know, at the at the actual marooning and, and we get call-outs to Richard Hatch and Earl Cole, which was just like incredible because Earl is a winner that they have notoriously overlooked throughout all of their history um, and to actually get a flashback of his win. I just thought there was some nice nods to longtime Survivor fans and I felt like specifically to me um, that I really, really liked. Mm. I do think though there was something just extremely boring about, I mean, you called it a marooning, but was it a marooning? Well, it's not a marooning. <laughs> I mean, they don't do As maroonings. the cast was brought in on boats, it's just like, you think about the history of the show and even 41 and 42, there was at least, they were on the ship and you know it was kind of like go time from the outset. There was something just so simplistic about this where it's just like, they're on the boat, they're already with their tribe. So there's not even that moment of like them looking around and sizing up. Cause at least when they were all on the boat for 41 and 42 on that big ship, well, I think point, 42 was 42 was actually like this was beat for beat. I think the same as oh, 42. Oh, right, really? It was 41 they started on like the big cargo oh, ship. Oh, okay. And, then and even then I guess you there. could probably get infer some things based off of the color of costuming. But nonetheless, I just thought yeah. that this was a very like again like surprising that this is the premiere episode and and I think this will be a theme that we'll continue to discuss, which is that like you read Jeff's interviews in Entertainment Weekly um well, we could call them interviews or we could just call them uh, fluff pieces. Let's call them what they are. And you read these quotes of Jeff talking about how epic this season is going to be and you've never seen challenges like this. And for all intents and purposes, not only did it not deliver on that, but it almost feels like less epic than the past. And this was a great example of the fact that like, they're brought in by boat. Oh, not only that, that same boat drives them. They have someone yeah. driving the boat to their camps. And so that was you mentioned earlier, for me. yeah, Jeff talking about you have to build a society. Well, the society they're building seems to come with some accoutrements, let me just say. And it's also <laughs> like, it just you even see the guy driving the boat. And it's one of those things where it's like, 
All Jeff seems to want is to drive this point home to us that 26 days does not make the game easier. Survivor is tougher than ever. Less time means you have to play harder, play faster, blah, blah, blah. Sure, maybe you buy that, but that to me was this marooning, air quotes marooning, and then watching that gentleman uh, boat them all to their camps were several examples of the fact that like this game is easier than it used to be. It just is. Yeah, so I, I mean, there's a couple things on that, but one of them is that you know they, I think they were at least in the recent memory. I don't want to say like modern or not modern, but like in recent memory, I think they do get boated everywhere and we just don't see it. It happens off camera to keep the magic alive of like they're stranded on a desert island. I kind of liked seeing it in this moment because we all know that that's not happening. We know that they don't make their own way to tribal council. We know that they don't make their way from uh, their beach to challenges. And I think that even is the case going all the way back to like the pre like maybe post-season five, pre-season 10 era that they would get shipped around. Um, But they would always film as if like they would film them exiting their beach in, you know, like a rowboat uh, and then arriving at the challenge in a rowboat. And so like it it did keep the facade of like, okay, they are doing this on their own. So on one hand, I like seeing the machinations of how this actually works how this show works but on the other it does sort of like it it does sort of chip away at the idea of this being the hardest experience of all time and and i'm not saying that it's not hard as a result but it's like when you see them getting speedboated around the fijian islands it does take something away from the magic in my opinion and also there was just something and I think about the setting. I mean, I just felt that this episode was so sunny. Like, it just looked so (laughs) exotic in a way that, like, it was sort of like, this looks wonderful. Like, it, and I don't know, I kept thinking, I I kept thinking about the premiere of, um, uh, 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 Millennials versus Gen X when in the first episode they literally have to be removed from the island because of inclement weather and it's like this just seemed like they are they take a speedboat into this glorious sandy beach and it just see, you know you had all the beautiful palm fronds and it was just so green and blue and lush and I, and and hey, that's that's just the weather. But like, there there was something. About I mean, it yeah, it like, th- these are these are literally the same beaches as Millennial versus Gen X and David versus Goliath when they had that. So they're 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 the same beaches. Right, right, right. So they can't control like, the weather. They can't. But I'm I'm just saying there. What I kept thinking about, you know, the premiere episode of Australian Outback, for instance, or just like the ways in which they had to like traverse these climates and then just, you know, figure all this stuff out. And I feel like with this iteration, and this might be whether it be because it's 43 or because they keep using the same island, it's pretty much like you get there, you know you have to go to the palm fronds, you know you have to start weaving. There's so much about how to play the game you can know now, whereas part of the appeal of those first 20 seasons was like, all of these different climates require different ways to live life. and so you couldn't, even a fan of the show couldn't necessarily study the game in the same way that you can now. And I think- Yeah, well, and the different stuff. geographies, right? Like changing locations meant you had different plants. Like maybe you didn't have palm fronds. Maybe right. you had to make right, right, do right. with something else. And but I guess, so yeah, yeah, to that point, I like I, I miss them having to uh, 
figure that out on their own where now it's like very set like we have seen where they build their shelters we have because there, there used to be drama around where to build your shelter do we Absolutely. want it close to the water do we want it beach. in the jungle um now it's like all kind of like we know how to do this part and so we're more focused on like talking about and to each other right i guess i'm just surprised like when they were formulating the start of 43 which in many ways, yes, 41 and 42 were the beginning of the new era, but 43 in some ways also has this distinction of being the first real non-COVID season. I know COVID is not over. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I, I, I read the New York Times. Um, but it's, it's a different world that we're living in to film mm-hmm. 43 than it was during 41. I just would have thought they would have tried either something totally brand new or just something a little bit more epic. I always come back to that Pearl Islands opener um, when they go into that town and and have to start bargaining and, mm-hmm. and bartering and there's just like complete chaos. I This was just so controlled and so simple. And even to reference that zoom out from, from Jeff again, you know, you go back again. I don't want to always make it about like, yes, you and I clearly love the older seasons. There's always going to be that nostalgia. But I'm sorry, I kept thinking about that zoom out of Jeff on that active volcano in the opening of, I don't even know what season it was. Do you know? Maybe Vanuatu? I was going to say, I thought it was Vanuatu too. But anyway, there's one of those early seasons and it's just like, this show is just so clearly scaled back, which I guess it is what it is. But again, it keeps messaging itself as being more epic than ever. I was surprised that they were okay with such a just come in by boat, arrive to beach, it, it reminded me of my disappointment in watching Winners at War, the opening, and being like, this is how we're opening, like, the 40th season, the all-winners season. Champagne glasses. Glass, yeah. glass on the beach. Yeah. So I just was surprised by that choice. Um, and again, because we're at 43 and there's no distinguishing characteristic around the name or the location or anything, you would think that they'd want to have these things that when people say 43, they're like, oh, that's the season when they... Blah, 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 blah. And right now, we don't, we didn't get that from this episode at all. Yeah. I think that like a more modern example that I sometimes reference, at least in my own mind, uh, is that, that second chance marooning, where it is a marooning, right? It's like a traditional marooning that they're on a ship and they get to take some supplies from the ship and go in. But then there's this added element where it's a bit of a challenge where, you know, if someone wants to break away and swim to another boat to like whatever they're going to get, some kind of advantage or like, or it's just supplies for their tribe, then they can do that. And you get this like race between, I think, Wu and Kelly Wigglesworth or something. And it was, it's just like a really exciting way to start the season because you're like, totally. okay, like who's gonna who's gonna make this first move? And uh, that would be like that's an easy thing to do. That's a totally easy thing to do, and it's like a little bit more memorable. Now they love to start with bringing everybody onto the beach, having them fawn over Jeff and be like, oh my god, I'm on Survivor. Isn't this crazy? Like we've seen it. I get it. I, I get I get their excitement, but like this is we got that we got beat for beat that in forty two. Right. So I don't know that I needed it here, but maybe we should actually get in and talk about like some of the uh, details of the episode here. Oh, okay. <laughs> How do we feel? About I that? was going to pause us on Jeff, but I guess we'll get to that. Well, there's plenty to talk about Jeff. So uh, Jeff uh, announces the the tribe names. We're going to try to remember these. It is Vessi in red, Baca in yellow, and Coco in blue. And they're going to start their very first reward challenge uh, again. Like this. This is not a reward challenge they have never done before. Um, They're going into the jungle and retrieving crates, and then they have to go into the water and retrieve crates, and then they have to use the crates to create a tower that they need to then sort of like rig off a a 
piece of flint from a, a tower of, of wood. And so the first one who gets the flint, their team is going to win their basic supplies for their camp. But don't worry, if you don't win the basic supplies for your camp, you'll be able to have a chance to win them when you go back to camp. Which like, that's something, the savvy sweat thing, like that's something I could have done with it. Like, I think they could have lost that because you think back to, like, now, now I'm doing it. You think back to like Marquesas where it was like, you're getting nothing. Or I think they gave him a machete and a pot. Like that, mm-hmm. that's that's enough. Um, if anything, I feel like there's there almost should be like uh, an actual reward here, like three days worth of rice or something like that, um, because it's like ultimately all these tribes are going to get their machete and pot. Otherwise, like what the hell are they going to do, right? Yeah, I also think like at the very first challenge, it's more fun to have something that requires people to work together as a team as opposed to these like breakouts of like two, two, and two. Because I think that it, for all the obvious reasons, it's like they're a brand new team. Let's see how they function. Let's see how they work together when they know nothing about each other. Because in theory, the start of the challenge is the first opportunity that they have ever had to speak to one another. So it's like, again, amp up the chaos factor, put something in where there's six people who have never spoken before, potentially talking all over each other, or excuse me, talking over each other to try and get something done. I didn't, I don't love like the division. And also they have to carry heavy boxes. So more often than not, you're gonna send your biggest guys out. It's like they do these things sometimes where they limit the options by way of like, you know, that there's just certain cast members that are are smaller that you're not gonna send to carry out do these heavy boxes. I like it more when there's that sort of uh, element of like, okay, well, which person is best to use here? For instance, later on, when they do the challenge, we have to dig through the sand and get under Mm -hmm. that beam. I love that because there's two ways you can go with that. You can go for someone that's physically stronger that will move the sand out quicker, or you can go for someone lighter that will get under more easily. I like that sort of challenge in which it's like, there's multiple logics with which to work through it. This one, the options felt a little bit too predictable. Yeah. So ultimately, Vessi, our red tribe, manages to kind of hack the challenge. I think Cody Assenmacher comes up with a a little bit of a challenge hack to fit the flint into the bamboo stick. And uh, so Dwight manages to get the flint and secure the supplies for Vessi. And so Coco and Baca our yellow and blue tribes are sent back to camp to work on their savvy or sweat challenges, which are back from 41 and 42. Can I ask you a question about the hack? Yeah. Do you think that that was something that the creators of that challenge knew, or do you think that was a hack that was discovered in, in doing the challenge as we saw it? I think it was discovered. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it's possible that they like would have figured that out, but questioned whether the contestants would have figured that out because they do test these challenges pretty rigorously, unlike maybe a show like The Challenge USA, which doesn't seem to test its challenges. Um, so I like I imagine like it's possible, it's 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 almost probable that they figured out that, like that's one approach to finishing the challenge. But it was amazing that I mean like Cody shouted that out, and I thought it was odd that the other tribes didn't catch on to that although like kind of like if you have two seconds head start on that approach you're basically one um but i thought it was like quite clever and like good for them although i don't know that i'm cheering for the vessi tribe but um we'll get to that so let's talk quickly about the savvier sweat i don't think we have to go into too much detail here 
So the tribes go back and they have to choose between either digging up their supplies or completing a puzzle to get their supplies. Either approach they take, they have four hours to do it. That's a departure, I think, from mm-hmm. 41 and 42, because I think if you did the savvy, you had less time to do it. Um, and I don't think that like, I just don't know that you should have four hours to do a puzzle this simple. Um, I mean, not to say it's a simple puzzle. I wouldn't have come up with the solution of like taking apart one of the numbers in order to make to turn one number into three numbers. Uh, I probably wouldn't have thought of that, but maybe given four hours, I would have come up with it. I feel like that. (laughs) I feel like you should be given like 30 to 40 minutes for that. Quickly on that note. So we see, because I want to talk about Sammy, our 19 year old pet cremator who they gave, you know, they gave the uh, Philip Shepard, Debbie Warner, treatment in the very opening where they were like sort of listing all his jobs all across the screen and putting them diagonally and stuff like that um and then which here was one of those is. wild flourishes <laughs> yeah. that we got entertainment weekly did a whole article dedicated to all of the the new <laughs> thrills that are ahead and that was one of the the new exciting things to look forward to in survivor 43 the chiron it's, will shift <laughs> which by yeah. the way as you said they've done before They've done before, and it was fun. It, like it was fun, particularly with Debbie. It was like really fun how they did it in her original season because in Co Wrong because you sort of like that unfolded naturally in a way to the point where you were like, uh, like we talked about this in our challenge recaps where it's like, do the editors know that they're doing this? And then and then sort of by the time you're like, well, yeah, for sure they know. Then they're like heavily winking at you to be like. LOL. Yeah, we're changing her job every time she talks. Um, And so like, that's like a a fun like, you know, if you know, you know, and if you if you don't, you're probably going to catch on by the time that it's all sort of like climaxed. Or here it's like, well, we're really going to like shove this down your throat the first time you hear this guy talk, Um, which is like, whatever. It's not it's not my biggest complaint. But you know, it was a little like heavy handed for me. Um, But Sammy, speaking of heavy handed. So Sammy's like, I I want to sit back because I'm 19, but I'm really whatever smart or whatever he thinks he is, um, and strong, and I'm a big guy, and I don't want to like have this really high threat level coming into the game, and so I'm going to step back. So we hear that, and then we see him step forward because he's like, well, actually, we need our stuff, and so he presents this solution to the puzzle that thinks outside the box, which I'm going to come back to because there's more to that. Uh, he he thinks outside the box, and then later it's like, what does he do? He starts the fire, um, where he's like, you know, I'm I'm just gonna like let them struggle with the fire because I don't want people to know that I'm that big of a threat. And then the next scene, we see him starting the fire, and then it's like same thing. Like in the challenge, there's some something he's doing that I'm like, it's all these. Th- he's like over three on holding back, which is his strategy, and so I don't know that. Like that, I don't think is coming through in the edit. It doesn't seem like Survivor's aware that that's happening to me um, because he's getting this like big hero edit. And back to the puzzle where he comes up with this solution, I thought it was very interesting how this was presented because he comes up with the solution to change. Uh, so they have like numbers spelled out in bones, right? And they have to move two bones to create the biggest possible number that they can. And so, uh, of course, you're thinking like, well, how can I add these two bones to the existing numbers to make a bigger number um, but actually he figures out the, the hack that you can you can take two bones away and as a result turn a zero into three ones so you can have the, a really big number um, but 
Sammy, the way he presents this is by putting the three ones at the end of the number, uh, which doesn't make it that big of a number. And it's actually Janine who steps in and goes, no, 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 no. We need to do it to the first zero so that, you know, we're adding thousands, not just hundreds. And then Sammy gets this edit like, well, Sammy, you're so amazing. Thank you so much for doing this. And he's like, yeah, I just had to do. And we're getting confessionals and it's like heroic music. And it's like, Janine got you this win. I mean, they got it together because it had had we gone with Sammy's plan, they wouldn't have won. It took Janine to step in and be like, wait, there is one step we are missing here. And I found that really annoying. Behind every great man. There's Janine. There's Janine. Yeah. <laughs> and because I really liked Janine and I really liked her in the preseason and I think she got the least amount of screen time of all these. And and they did a good job of spreading the wealth in terms of confessionals, but I believe she only got one confessional this episode. Mm. Which is Justice notable. for Janine. Especially considering her tribe went to tribal council. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. Uh, meanwhile, on the Coco tribe, they went for the sweat option and they were finished in 30 minutes because Ryan managed to uh, attack it from a, sort of a strategic angle, uh, digging in an X formation, and he finds the supplies uh, pretty quickly. Well, I have to say. Yeah, I think we're going to say the same thing. Go ahead. What? I don't think we are. Oh, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say Ryan's hot. I was going to say the same. (laughs) (laughs) No wonder Gio wanted to dig with him. Yeah, like Ryan, first of all, I appreciate all of the angles we were given of Ryan digging. Um, Mm. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was, I will say it was a bit of a bummer that they discovered it so quickly just because I could have used four hours of footage of Ryan digging. Um, (laughs) But that was a real thrill. And I would say Ryan stands out for a number of reasons, but chief among them is he's hot. Yeah. Oh, I really didn't think you were going to come out with that. I thought you were going to be like, oh, we've got a story about cerebral palsy. Isn't that inspirational? No, he's hot. Uh, sometimes you're just hot nothing wrong with that okay let's talk about some of the dynamics on the tribe maybe we can start with the red vessi tribe so this is the one where we've got cody really like taking the bolt by the horn in terms of like the edit here uh he is the center point of this tribe we are seeing his tattoo on his butt his living tattoo that is the title of the episode um, we get this like bizarre thing, as you alluded to, about how uh, he doesn't trust a salesperson and he's going to like throw all salespeople <laughs> under the bus, um, despite being a salesperson. And here we get like another little Chiron joke uh, where they put a little ding and they're like, sales, uh, elevator so sales. Funny. You know, if we have any salespeople listening to the pod, can you voice memo us and, and let us in on some intel that perhaps we or the show are not privy to? I didn't know that there's a reputation. I think... Sales, my understanding is salesperson as a job is so um, vague that the idea that there's like a reputation of salespeople in the world is something that I just was unaware of. But like, am I ignorant to the fact, is, is there some sort of, I mean, I understand there's like the snake oil salesperson of like the 1950s. Like I understand that that was a thing, but like in modern times, if I meet someone and they tell me they're a salesperson, my next question would be like, oh, what do you want from the bar? Like, it wouldn't be like, that would not indicate something about who they are as a person. But 
Am I wrong? Is there like, is there a known thing about salespeople that Cody's Cody's in on that I'm not? Well, I I just think like what he's saying could apply to so many different right. people. And we got so much content from Ellie about how she's a therapist and she talks people. I don't think this is the language therapists should be using, that she talks people into doing things they don't want to do. Listen, um, I think there's another way to put that. Right. Your job and your age, like all of these shows, Big Brother's the same way where it's like they think that like if people know what they do or how old they are, that it will have some sort of like weight in sort of how people think about them. I just don't think that's true. I think there's a lot of other factors um, that will indicate about you. I mean, I think there are a couple of, of careers that, you know, if you come in there and you're like, I play in the NFL, I do think that could potentially be a red flag. Yeah. I understand why you would want to withhold that. Um, I think we've seen like cops, firefighters, like those emergency services, like tend yeah. to the healers tribe, HVHVH. Uh, <laughs> Don't ask me to name any of them. Um, I think like th- those have historic targets on their back. I don't know that. But I, I do appreciate here, like if I'm looking th- at this from the other angle or playing devil's advocate with myself, I do appreciate that Cody is a salesperson and there happens to be another salesperson on his tribe. And that is Justine, right? Just, yeah, it's Justine. And um, that he, he he's taking what he knows intimately about his mm-hmm. own profession and using that against something else, somebody else where anybody else on the tribe might not have thought twice about someone being a salesperson. Right. I mean, I know I would. So he's have. creating a something out of nothing. Right. Okay. Here's a theme for season 44 or 45, I guess, because 44 has been shot. So it's a season. We go back to the nine tribes, two tribes of nine format. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a double on the other side. They've never met in real life. It's just someone who looks like them, oh. talks like them, is from the same place, shares a lot of like commonalities among them. Like same but, age, and, same occupation. Exactly, that whole thing. So, but it, it's but it's not told to the people on the show and they never interact with the person to learn. I mean, because they don't necessarily have to look, maybe, I mean, maybe we go for looks. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm Archetype, yeah. archetype. But it's just this idea that you have a double on the other tribe. I think that would really be fun. Themed season, fun way to re-up, you know. Yeah, I do like that. Survivor Dead Ringers. Mm. Yeah. Directed by David Cronenberg. Hello. Okay, so let's... (laughs) What else do we have at the Vessi tribe? We have... Well, we start to see some groups come together. We see Noelle and Justine linking up a little bit. It almost seemed like they were like looking for an idol. Like I, I heard Justine say it was just a passing moment. And Justine was like, well, that looks suspicious, like looking up into the tree. So that was interesting because we don't know that there are idols planted at camp. I almost suspect not at this point, but who knows? We don't know if the phrase idols are back or if they're not back or if they're doing something else with them. But meanwhile, we have Cody Neca and Jesse coming together. I don't know where Dwight fits in. That's one question I have lingering from this episode because we have Jesse talking about how, well, I've got Noel and Justine over here and they're trying to pull me into their party and Cody and Neca are trying to pull me into their party. By the way, Cody and Neca is such a weird pairing. Um, and Jesse's like, I can go either way. But I'm like, wait, hang on a second. There is another person here. It is Dwight. And maybe you didn't notice him because he's hiding under his buff as a hood, which I love, I love his, I, by the way, I love Dwight's whole outfit. I love his like red athletic Me type Me too. Pants. Is Dwight family? <laughs> I, no, I don't think so. Well, oh, okay. uh, I, like 
from my research, I only identified two queer people. Which and we, which that was got, Gio and Carla. Yeah. Uh, if Dwight is family, because he was very much giving Bryce right. in this episode, from the way he was wearing his buff, the 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 standout pants, like it right. was it was giving Bryce. I also felt like Ryan was giving a little bit of family vibe. That I think is wishful thinking. Fair enough. Uh, I don't think he's family, but um, he can come to my Thanksgiving. <laughs> Can and stuff, stuff my, my turkey. turkey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my gross. god! Well, he's okay. exhausted from the digging, so we got to give him I some know. sustenance. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> my god. Let's talk about another tribe right now. Uh, let's talk about the Baca tribe, the yellow tribe, who is end- going to end up going to tribal council. Um, this is interesting because I think we see like Owen come out of the gate really strong here. We get some interactions between like him and Gabler, him being like, uh, you know, it was like a very non-reciprocal interaction where he's walking with Gabler and he's like, I'll, I'll tell you if I hear your name get thrown out there. And Gabler just like gives nothing. And then I think he does that as well with Janine. Um, but it's really interesting to see because I think there's like a lot of misdirection in the edit here on what's actually happening. Survivor misdirection. Um, <sighs> this tribe was certainly giving Yasa vibes in terms of mm. like, and and I think we identified this when we did our cast assessment, where it's like this was definitely. Where did the you pull Yasa tribe. from? What I'm shocked mean? to remember the name of the. No, I googled tribe. it while I was. While I was <laughs> I mean, I knew it was. I was like, I was going to ask yeah. you the Yellow Tribe in 41, but I googled quickly. <laughs> yeah, I could they have t- are. and I just said I pl- I just know the show really well. But yeah, I- you could have. You could have lied. Uh practice start practicing for Survivor. So I just think it's interesting because I think that like I think Owen was more ingrained rewatching this, which I did this morning. I think that Owen was more ingrained with his tribe mates than we were led to believe. And I think same for Gabler, because we see Owen and Gabler come together here. The other thing we're seeing that is gonna be like the, the sort of the story of the episode is we see Mariah, Ellie, and Justine, sorry, Mariah, Ellie, and Janine, other J name, coming together um, while weaving palm fronds and like sharing stories about their lives, etc. And they do this like girl power pact on the beach and talk about like, we, we are the women's alliance and nobody's going to break us up. Um, and of course, that is not going to last two days because Mariah is going to get sent packing. And so I just think like, while that was probably a genuine moment, I think there must be things, the sense I get is Ellie has to be closer to Gabler than we ever were shown, and probably Owen as well with them, to the point that like this women's alliance was never a real thing. Right. I think you just had a moment where it's day one, the three of you are together, you're sharing intimate details about your personal life and then all of a sudden you're like reminded that it's a game and so i i imagine if i was playing this game i would be forming alliances on the first couple days with everyone and if it happens to be that i'm with if it's just me one-on-one with someone i'm doing a final two if it's me and two other people around we're a tight final three to the end i think that's just it's like how it you would have no choice but to play that way i mean if you're it's day one or two and you're having an authentic human connection with another person, why wouldn't you all of a sudden be like, oh, we like each other as people, let's play the game together. I, I think that is just absolutely natural. So yes, I think there were a ton of misleads in this episode, but I think that they were less misleads and more just like people 
not confusing real life and the game. I think that's just part of what happens in this game is like you make real connections and all of a sudden you say, we can strategize. We can use this and strategize. I've noticed something with like the Twitterfication of Survivor where Let's uh, have that conversation. it seems like people take everything at face value and it's like we saw this women's alliance come together and therefore this women's alliance exists and if ellie betrays this alliance by voting mariah out which by the way janine went along with um then they are evil witches who destroyed an incredible thing and it's not to say i i am the first advocate for a women's alliance that's that's literally all i want i actually wanted mariah to stay and if you listen to our cast assessment i was not a fan of mariah in the preseason i actually thought she was like very measured and normal and like had a lot of potential for this season where in the preseason i thought she was going to be like a little obnoxious just based on like the rainbow aspect of her personality which is her entire personality but like that didn't really like come into play here and so like I I was actually excited that these three women came together and I kind of liked them all but it's like at the end of the day they weren't a real alliance and so I just feel like sometimes on the internet on the survivor internet we see something happen and it's written in stone where it's like no in all reality they made the they made this women's alliance and probably they all made two or three other alliances. Maybe Mariah didn't, and that was her problem. I like maybe Mariah put all her eggs in the basket of this women's alliance, and that's why she went home. I'm really curious to hear her exit press and uh, and whenever it happens, especially Ellie's, because I really want to know what went down in this vote, and uh, I just don't think that we were given enough information to glean it. Can I ask another question about Yeah, go ahead. Ellie's backstory. And I don't want this to come off insensitive in any way, but I just had a question around, she mentioned the fact that her sister was really, really sick, um, was using drugs, and then she said that the last time she spoke to her was about Survivor, and then six months later, she died. And I'm just wondering, Mm -hmm. and I only am asking this because it was made into a plot point on the show. I realize Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily my right to know this, um, but it was, I did have confusion around, so you didn't speak to your sister no, that months. was part of her story. That was part of her story. They became so did I miss estranged. That? Yeah. Got it. Okay. They became got estranged that. because the sister got into drugs and like fell out with the rest of the family. Oh, got it. Okay. So sorry. So this, so, okay. So the conversation about Survivor and everything happened six months before she died. Okay. So, yeah. and was that conversation with the awareness that she had been cast on Survivor? So that is, that is a good question because, because I was like, I wait, so they just were, they were just before. talking about Survivor? No, but th- this is what I suspect because she said she died in 2020. I suspect what we're she being told is Ellie was cast on the original 41. And we've had multiple people from 41 to 43 who were on that original 41 before the diversity campaign mm-hmm. um, and the uh, initiative for 50% POC casting on reality shows at CBS uh, that a lot of those people have wound up on subsequent seasons, which is nice for them. But I think probably what happened was Ellie was meant to fly out to Fiji in spring of 2020. That's interesting. So one thing I would love to know from her, maybe we'll talk to her at some point. um, Was she told when she was bumped from 41 that she's going to 43 or was it you are no longer cast on 41 we'll reach I out i think you have change. to so uh i oh who was it 
I think somebody talked about this in the preseason. I wonder if it was even Ellie, but I think somebody talked about how uh, they were cast on 40. Maybe it was Ellie. I should go back and look. But in somebody's interview in the preseason, they talked about how I was cast on 41 and I was cut and uh, I had to reapply, like start over from scratch. But I think at that point, like if you were if you had made the cast, they probably got their eye on you and they're probably sort of fast tracking you through the process. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think that you would have to reapply. So interesting little bit of. But I will say a really powerful moment of that bond between the three of them Um, Mm -hmm. and just really like nice and lovely and genuine. I do think it's I miss the days of moments like these coming out a little bit later in the game because it does feel a little bit like there's a distinct way in which it feels like they are prompted to share these aspects of themselves on day one, just because we got so many beats of people sharing very intimate details about themselves very early on in the game, Mm -hmm. as opposed to it coming out when there's a little bit more familiarity and comfort. At the same time, though, it's like you can understand why someone would bring it out so early on because it certainly humanized her to them, and then it created this this bond that they have um, that is sort of, you know, whether or not they are strategically aligned, I guess there was just that personal bond that was born from that moment. Yeah. And speaking of sort of like backstories and very important personal information that we get, I just think it's important to know, and I I don't want anybody to get it twisted, that uh, pet cremators do not simply pick your animals up by their hind legs and throw them into a fire. Yeah, that was something. And not really, like, I'm surprised they would keep that in. I know, it was quite graphic. Yeah. It, yeah. For, a, for a kid's show? Yeah. Um, do you just want to say, though, the um, can I hug you moment, uh, just for any um, fans of The Parent Trap, the 1998 um, <laughs> Parent Trap, there's a great moment uh, when Chessie, one of the all-time great bisexual, not out characters in cinema, cinema um she finds out that Annie and Hallie have switched bodies and her response to, I believe it's Annie, but it could be Hallie because it's hard to discern. <laughs> um, but she says, can I hug you? So that's when I saw that, because um, they subtitled that moment, that I immediately thought of Chessie. I mean, I'm always thinking wow. about Chessie, but I explicitly thought about Chessie. I actually haven't seen that. You haven't seen The Parent Trap? No. Okay. Because I was busy watching It Takes Two. Well... Okay, but double They're the same movie, right? Uh, hmm, no, no. I thought It Takes Two is based on The Parent Trap. No, I mean, I understand that, but in the case of The Parent Trap, you have two former, like a formerly married couple falling back in love, and with It Takes Two, they're bringing together. Oh, I see, okay, But yes, I mean, obviously, like the... The twin element, yeah. Wait. That makes sense, The Parent Trap. Wait, we're gonna have to do a Patreon watch of of the parent trap and i'm not being funny well i thought we should do a patreon watch of uh the by the way if you're not if you're not subscribed to our patreon this would be a great time to tell you that uh we are going to begin recapping survivor borneo exclusively on the patreon we will be recapping 43 over here on our main feed but if you want to take a little uh uh time to enjoy the view time time (laughs) 
you want to take a little time to enjoy the view from Borneo, uh, you <laughs> yeah. can subscribe to our Patreon where we're going to be recapping. I am so excited to recap season yeah. one and Listen. get into all the tea behind the, the lawsuits, the cheating allegations, the tax. Uh, we're going to get into all of it. Maybe we'll even bring somebody in from I was going to say, talk I, think about it. Get, I think we could get uh, some voice memos. And also, maybe if we're doing a movie rewatch after Borneo, we watch The Animal starring we Colleen do. Haskell. We do. That makes sense. Also, just like if you haven't yet ventured over to our Patreon, I would say there would be no better time than now because I have a feeling you're going to get the most unhinged versions of us because... <laughs> Sean and I love, love Survivor Borneo. And I I think we're aligned in thinking it's a flaw-free season. Um, and it's just the thought of like us getting to go like grain by grain. Because obviously we've talked about Borneo before. But I think, and, and also I will say, we will be re-watching the seasons. So as opposed to our season ranking, which is a little bit more like f- pulling from memory, this is going to be fresh in our minds. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think we, we can't fucking wait. I feel very like uh, the end of Lost season four, where it's like, we have to go back to the island. That's how I'm feeling right now. Yep. Okay, so. Um, okay, but, let's but talk- oh wait, but before we go back to 43, just, I'm, I'm not being funny. We will do the Parent Trap, unless you're like vehemently against it. Parent Trap watch on the Patreon at some point. Okay, starring... Janine and Ellie. Let's hug. Let's hug it out. And Mariah. Can I hug you? (laughs) Okay, let's talk about the Coco tribe because we talked about the other two. Um, We have a whole sequence here of Cassidy uh, pulling together people. And this is surprising because Cassidy, like I said in our preseason, she's living up to it. She's giving me very Sarah in 41 vibes, our our first boot from 41. Um, where I just think she's like a little young to be pulling off what she's trying to pull off and it's coming off as a little frantic. But she, the but the uh, like quotes she's getting from her confessionals are quite positive, I think. That she's like, you know, I'm playing like a fox. I, I think she's the one that says, you know, when women play like this, uh, it's sort of like frowned upon, but men get to play like this. So I have to be a little quieter about how I do it. It's um, a little early see, for that quote. It is, it is. It's like, um, give us see the her move pull to in. justify it. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. We see her pulling Carla and Lindsay, and Lindsay also is. And I think Lindsay was like a big standout in this episode. Not a big standout, but like for our older woman that like we want to, you know, cast Laura Dern to play her in the movie of her life. Um, Lindsay's getting the screen time here that that is deserved, I think, for this role. Um, for for a leading lady like Laura Dern, um, she's getting the screen time that that she needs. And um, it might be like a supporting actress nomination, not a lead actress, but that's where we're at at this point. But she tells Carla and Cassidy like, hey, we're only three. So I, if you see me talking to James, don't think anything of it, but I'm pulling him in because like we actually need four. We are a tribe of six here. The weird part about this strategy, and granted, I don't think it, was very consequential. But from James's perspective, why would you be okay with being the fourth in an alliance that's already been formed? It was very clear in how they presented it to him, where it's like, the three of us are together and we want you, whereas the better strategy would be to go and side recruit him as a two and be like, "What? we're going to need more numbers. Like, it, There's a different way to sell it to make it more more sensible for James to be a more like a uh, seductive offer. And yet James, we, I thought we were going to get a confessional of him acknowledging that at the very I least. I thought we kind of did like, uh, maybe it was like a read between the lines moment, but he really? kind of did say like, 
uh, I don't like I don't know if the, like how did he say it I'm paraphrasing but I kind of got the sense that he was like I don't know that this is the best thing but I'm gonna let them think that they have the upper hand which like I do think they do have the upper hand wait at this did time. he explicitly say that he said I'm gonna let them think they have the upper hand Okay, fair enough. So then but you're like, right, maybe. But he, like maybe. ultimately he needs to be in an alliance and here's a majority presenting themselves to him that he can be. And like, I think there might be something there because Lindsay already had this connection with James before Carla and Cassidy approached her. And mm-hmm. so that's why she said this thing like, hey, if you see me talking to him, don't worry about it. It's like, I'm almost getting the sense like maybe Lindsay and James are going to be their own discreet too within this broader four. And that could work out really well for them. Absolutely. That's yeah. But this one's complicated because we also then see Gio and Carla bonding over being family. And um, so they're kind of working together. And then Gio pulls in um, Ryan. So, it's, so we have like Carla, Gio, Ryan. Then we have Cassidy, Carla, Lindsay, and James. So it's like, I like this. Because like Carlos this, talks about feeling like she's in the middle of two alliances, but actually, like, I mean, she is. But well, but if she not. goes with Gio and Ryan, it's a tie. Exactly. Where so if she goes no with the other group, it's a majority. There's, there's no. But does she want to, like, are we going to see the gays cut each other once again in the new era? Or are we going to see them work together? Bum, bum, bum. I will say, though, this goes back to what I said at the outset, where... Because you have this cast of all heroes, this was a tribe specifically. I was kind of like, I like them all. I don't want any of them to go. It will be tricky uh, if and when this tribe goes to tribal for me. Because, yeah, I don't, I don't want to bury my gaze. Also, I'm reading right now. So Cassidy was also cast on 41. Did we know that? Oh, maybe she's the one I was thinking of. Okay, yeah. Okay, well, she was cast I'm on I'm inferring that, that uh, Ellie was cast on 41. But I think we knew that Cassidy was cast on 41. I knew there was somebody. Okay, let's talk very quickly about the new Shipwheel Island. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot to say here, except that uh, it is not Shipwheel Island anymore. I'm calling it Bag Rock. I don't know if we can come up with something better. Please voice memo me, DM me if we like something better than Bag Rock. But uh, I have to say, I'm I'm happy that we have like a new location. And it was giving me kind of like Micronesia vibes, how they had to walk through the ocean to get to another little like island. Um, remember that Exile Island where they had to go back and forth through the water? Oh, yeah, no, I do. I just thought it was interesting that we weren't really given too many wide shots here because it did seem quite close. Um, and then we, they went back in the description after the fact and said that the water was up to their necks. Um, well, a couple questions about that. Why not just swim as opposed to walking? Yeah. If it's up to your neck, swim out. And, um, if the, and if the ground is that rocky? Yeah, exactly. Um, this just didn't seem that challenging. Like, it was one of those weird things of, like, they just have to go out. Like, I, I don't know. I thought, it was, yes, I appreciated the change of scenery, but also, like, to what effect? Yeah. And I'm not sure it's like the the bonding that happens on these things, they're so explicit. Get to know each other. Um, I have yet to see that really play any sort of factor later in the game. I don't think that the bonding happened here because the journey was like the bonding could happen on Shipwheel Island because it was just a walk. Right. Where here they were like, 
like kind of struggling through the water. And like, I think they were more focused on talking. It's easier to talk about like what's happening around you when you're getting to know people than like to talk about yourself where like in the old ship wheel Island, I think there was nothing to do. Like there was nothing around you until you got to the top of the mountain and you'd be like, well, look at, take a little time to enjoy the view where here it's like, Oh, watch out for this. Watch out for that. Oh my God. It's so dangerous and slippy. Like, I don't think they're really getting to know each other. Yeah. And I do just want to say like getting to there and then having the rules of the risk reward this is now the third season that they've done it. It still didn't make sense to me watching it. Well, it's, it's different ju- now. Oh, it's okay, different well then, now. Okay, well, it's just a little too confusing. It's like, not only is it confusing, and it's for very little payoff by way of like it resulting in something interesting. It's, I just don't, I don't understand it. Yeah, fair. I mean, like now, and I like, <laughs> I don't know that I love the ship wheel, but I don't love the cards. This is like very. Yeah. Uh... So, so if only one of them, if so, if two people had chosen to not risk it, the third person would have automatically gotten the idol. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's a big reward. Yeah. A little too big. Fiasco. Big risk, big reward. Mm, not a big uh, risk. So I, this is another thing I think. Is it a risk? Like... Is it a is it a risk? Well, it's a risk if other people also risk. Right. Because then you don't have a vote. Right. Okay. And if all three, then you only have a one in three shot right, at I guess, the but, idol. But, but yeah, I guess what I more mean then is it's like, oh, I guess because it's like you risk or you, uh, uh, yeah, okay. If I were, it seems odd to me that people would risk. Did they know it was the idol? They, they just knew it was an advantage. Yeah, okay. I, if it was an idol, I think like maybe all of them would have risked. Right. I don't know. Oh, I don't think Carla needs an idol. So if all three of them would have risked it, would two people have lost a boat? Yeah. Got it. Anyways, Carla doesn't risk. Smart. I don't think she needed to. Um, she also wasn't down with like, I liked what she said when Gabler was like, I'll see you at the merge. And that her confession was like, look, we'll see. Like, We'll see if I see you at the merge. I'm not convinced. <laughs> so just quickly, uh, you know, because I just wanted to say like who Mother is in this cast. So are you leaning more towards Carla as Carla Mother? Carla is Mother. Carla okay. is Mother. Period. So- Carla's mother, period, is Lindsay mother as well? Lindsay's aunt. Lindsay's aunt. So Carla's mother. Yeah. Okay. I just think Carla is great. I just think she's great on TV. I just am immediately drawn to her. I think she's natural. I think she's, like, genuine. Really, really like Carla. I do think Janine has mother tendencies, but we haven't She has mother potential, but we got to see her. Yeah, I was going to say, we need to see her. Okay, so, of course, what ends up happening is Dwight uh, has lost his vote. He does not get the idol. Gabler, of course, gets the idol and announces it to everybody. And and their hands are a little tied here because they've all seen 41 and at least some 42. So they know something's up. There's not a lot they can do. I'm kind of surprised they even brought this back, to be honest. I am, too. Because it's so obvious. Yeah, it's just so strange. Um, but the new machinations have certainly limited how many can get. Because, you know, before... Before, in this exact scenario, two of them would have received advantages, right? If this was the ship wheel. Um, So this is limiting the number of advantages, but it is also giving uh, the option to use an idol in the pre-merge, which we didn't really have in 41 and 42. So uh, that is interesting and interesting to see, like, do they want that play? I think think they probably do want an idol played pre-merge, but I don't know if I need Gabler playing it. Do you think it was, you know, part of the mandate was you have to open this in, at a private moment? 
which I thought was odd because we saw that moment where he screamed and then the whole tribe ran out. Do you think that was yeah, mandated? Yeah, for sure it was private because because Dwight did the same thing. And I just feel no, like Gabler it, was no, so no, upfront. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, they I'm had just saying, to. But I think they had to. Do you think to. that being that if they were willing to just disclose all the information, do you think that they were not given the option to just, you know, remove yeah. that formality? Okay. I just, yeah, I, which I don't understand. I think it's yeah, dumb. Yeah, it's very strange. Like, just let him open it in front of everybody. It was it was so like, now I have to go over here, and then you will be signaled when you right. can come. Or you'll hear my scream. Like, yeah. I have to say, I'm going to have a hard time with, with Gabler as a name. It just does not roll off the tongue. So I'm hoping he goes soon. <laughs> uh i did like the scene between gabler and ellie where uh ellie's like oh yeah i like metal music and she, she was just making it up um that was our you know we had harry potter in 42 and mm-hmm. here we had mastodon which i thought was funny okay let's talk about the immunity challenge very quickly i mean like it's, it's for me this is like a standard immunity challenge nothing special happens except so we have this whole obstacle course um and uh well there's maybe two things to mention that was um uh, james's pants falling down uh-huh. um and another thing to mention was that i really liked that there was a reward built into the challenge for doing good at the challenge where you get to the end and you get to pick one of three table mazes to play. Yes. I liked that aspect. I did as well. Interesting thing about that, and this was pointed out to me by a fiance to the pod, Billy, um, they built nine of those um, when they only needed to build three. It was very odd that each team was presented with three, but they could only choose as one team chose one, those were no longer options. So it's just very strange from a, logistical perspective that no one on production was like we don't need nine we can do it with three it's like they're just so focused on this color coordination the, yeah the the ellen audience-ification of survivor <laughs> that you have to like just be color coordinated at all times so that we're yeah. like because we're so stupid we can't right. possibly track who's on which tribe and who we're rooting for it's like yeah that's a little much for me but yeah whatever i don't care Ultimately. Yeah, I mean, I thought a pretty standard <laughs> challenge, which I thought I think it's it's a good challenge. It's exciting to watch. I like the different phases of it. But again, for a premiere episode, I think that they could have done something that was either brand new or a little bit more epic in, in scope. And also really quickly, I just wanted to say these slow-mo shots that were established in 41 that continued over to 42, I don't need them. I, there were a hand. couple. There were a couple moments in forty one and forty two that warranted them. You know, there was like that one with Jonathan diving, for instance. That like I, I understood what they were getting. These days, it's like it feels a little bit like a trodden beat, if you will. Uh, yeah, there was the one during the uh, the tri- uh, the Baca tribe doing the savvy challenge, where it was just like. It was just shots of them looking at the bones. And it was like, this is going on for a long time. And it was all slow-mo. And it's like, there's nothing slow-mo about this. Right. Where it's just like hair falling in your face. Uh, It's not... It's not giving the drama you think it's giving. No, but you know that Jeff just loves the slow-mo shots. Totally. I mean, I like them too. They look good. But like, let's save them for those moments. Like like when they used it on Ricard's putting the slingshot, which which he would miss the target. Right, right, right. That was a great slow-mo shot. Do you remember in season three of Buffy when um, (laughs) 
when Faith finds out that Buffy and Angel are both acting and there's that mm-hmm. slow-mo shot of Faith turning her head around. I feel like yeah, that is an expertly deployed slow-mo. You have to deploy your slow-mo very purposefully in order for it to have the effectiveness it needs. I think I'm going to be Buffy for Halloween. Really? Yeah, I found the red leather pants on Sheen for $30. Wow. So That's a I lot think I'm Sheen. building the costume around that. Well, they're, That's exciting. They're, this is high quality leather. Yeah, of course, of course. Do you have your steak? Okay, I'll let you know. How Wait, it are goes. you? Are you? No, steak? no. That's the problem. I don't have a steak. That, yeah, that is my need, outstanding issue. But you need the knife. That um, it's the knife that she kills Faith with in the red in the red leather pants. You need that special. It's available. I can find it for you. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. A knife around for Halloween. I mean, okay. Do you know what I mean? I'm already worried about the steak. Like, I don't want to go to a bar. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Are you doing a blonde? Put that wig? on pause. Yeah, for sure. Okay, great. It's going to be nice. So Coco wins the immunity uh, challenge, and then Vessi wins the immunity challenge. So Baca is going to tribal. I think we've talked a little bit about the dynamics here already, but let's just say that Gabler sits down here and announces, this was all my fault, which I don't think it actually was. I've rewatched this challenge. It wasn't your fault. This was complicated because, like, in the past, they have used uh, only one person on the maze. Here they used two. And so, like, I liked that they did that because it created a little bit of, like, personal interpersonal tension here right but gabler like just blaming it on himself i don't think that was like fully accurate of what happened in the challenge and then announcing that he's going to use his shot in the dark and not use his idol because like uh as as the reigning queen of survivor said on twitter marianne she pointed out this is uh this is zane from um what season what season was zane on uh, south pacific uh no not south pacific philippines I'm watching it right now, uh, where, you know, Zane loses and he does this whole act, but it's a little bit of an act where he's like, I'm going to see how this, how this lands that like, uh, you know, I failed, like vote me out. And then that's sort of like how he's going to see where the chips fall. And then ultimately it backfires and he goes home. I almost wonder whether Gabler, I don't know if I should give him the credit of like, that this was like some kind of brilliant move, but it is interesting to me that Ellie like immediately jumped up and was kind of like, no, 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 you're not playing your shot in the dark. And that he's like, oh, you're right. I I guess I won't do that. But it kind of like, I think drew people and the way that the vote shook out, of course, like everybody voted for Mariah and Mariah voted for Owen. So like we, we got all this stuff in the strategy of like, Ellie trying to like keep Gabler, keep Owen and having this plan to get Mariah out. Mariah, meanwhile, going for Owen and we see her talking to Sammy. But it's like all of this. The only really interesting thing about this, looking back at it, is that Janine has hesitations about voting Mariah out because she's like, well, what, what about this girl thing that we had going on? And like, as soon as we vote out one girl, then if the guys want to get together, we're now in the minority. So I just don't think we were really given enough information. But what I'm reading from this whole thing is Ellie, Owen, and Gabler are far closer than they ever showed us in this two-hour episode where they had plenty of time. I will say I like the new Tribal Council set because we have been uh, on a ship-themed Tribal Council set. I feel like since Game Changers, like maybe I'm wrong, but like... At least since Winners at War, I think it's changed very minimally. And here now, there's like a big change where obviously they had a year in between filming. It's like bone themed. It's almost back to like the Fiji days. And here we are in Fiji where there's skulls and bones. There's new like sort of like uh, spherical structures. Uh, I I like it. Yeah, no, I really liked it. Speaking of big changes, (laughs) Jeff's face. 
Jeff looked wild at Tribal Jeff? Council. He looked like a hologram. Okay, I'm going to say the thing that you're not supposed to say. I apologize. But Jeff, the amount of work that Jeff Probst has had done on his face. First of all, there's nothing wrong with having work done. I'm not saying I haven't had work done. So this is not, I'm not trying to stigmatize the act of having work done. But I'm a proponent of having good work done. Um, and Jeff is just, I don't know. It's It's fascinating to me that He's on television, so I can understand the impulse to have work done because you want to look your best. But it's also fascinating to me that this guy like Jeff Probst would have plastic surgery. It just it's seemingly not his style because he's all about like he's a survivalist, right? That seems incongruous to the brand. That's why I think it's worth noting. And he is just so pulled. He's very, very pulled. And then added onto that is the lighting um, on him. Mm-hmm. It, it, it The recipe creates something. It, it, something. I genuinely thought when, when they first cut to him at Tribal, I was like, oh, he refilmed his scenes. He's not yeah, there. Yeah, perhaps. Um, but then Peter I don't Nyong'o think he did. It's just view, like totally... It's CGI. <laughs> it's CGI. It's CGI. Okay, we got a question on the Patreon Facebook page. Uh, was there any player you wish had gotten more airtime? And is there anyone you think who got too much? Well, I think we agree. Janine was pretty absent yeah. in this episode, especially at this tribal. Um, but she could have been absent because she was getting the ointment for her chin. Um, that yeah, was, uh, she really is, got And the only reason there. why I mentioned that briefly is just to say, again... This game is a little easier than before. You have something on your chin, Medic's going to give you some ointment. I'm just saying, if this show is yeah, called Yeah, but I, I also don't want, like, you know... <laughs> look, See, you people, say that, Sean, We saw multiple like, people get taken out and go wrong for skin infections. Like, that's not fun either. Okay, fine, but then look at Rupert's legs in Pearl Islands and all of the bug bites and everything, and it's like, why, they weren't given anything to treat those legs, and I didn't love looking at that. I know. So, I know, but I, I just don't, I don't want medevacs for like infections. I don't want like, medevacs, but that. I don't think everything is, I mean, that's, I, I guess it depends on the severity of the injury, but I'm just saying it's like, I think some of the survivalist component of this show is lost. and, and It a hundred percent is. It a hundred percent is, but like ointments for scrapes and stuff, like I don't mind that so much. Right. Anyway, so to answer the question though, not enough Janine, <laughs> but I will say on the whole, being that there were 18 people to balance, I would give... I would say one of the stronger points of this premiere episode was the feeling that they did a great job of balancing, giving everyone more or less an opportunity to introduce themselves and to get a a foothold on where people are at strategically. I do feel like I come away from this episode with an understanding of the overall cast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say that if I had to pick somebody who got a little too much airtime, I would say it was either a Cody or a Sammy. I think Cody probably, to be Cody honest. Cody for you. sure. It's almost like with Cody, it's like I, I want him to, it's like he of this cast skews the most villain. Um, but it's like I want, it's like I need I need it to go further. It's like I he was giving me a little bit of Shane Powers from Panama. Yeah energy but it's like it it's like shane powers is dialed to 100 and cody just it didn't feel there yeah yeah 
We have to wrap it up. We did have a voicemail, but I'm going to all hang on to it. Uh, you can voice memo us, of course. Next week is a 90-minute episode as well, so we're going to have another long one next week, but we're going to try to keep the recap a little bit shorter, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to do that. But you can subscribe to this show anywhere you get your podcast so that you don't miss next week's episode. Of course, as we mentioned, check out the Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash drop your buffs or click the link in our show notes to follow along on our Borneo recaps and all of the other content that we put up on the Patreon. And of course, we put we are going to pick our screenshot from the episode for Instagram. And what is everybody going to comment, Evan? Okay, I'm going to go with let's do the blue slide. It's a blue slide. It's under activities. And this is appropriate because we had the moment where they slid down during the immunity challenge. So we're going to go with the blue slide. You can either go up a slide or down a slide. And if you go up, drop your pants. Okay. (laughs) Speaking of pants, you know, we haven't forgotten our emojis from last season. And, uh, you asked and we are working on delivering we have drop your buffs merch coming soon so keep an eye out for that look you you request things and we do it we're here to serve oh wait one last thing (laughs) we've heard from people about wanting to get more alumni in on the conversation surrounding 43 Mm. specifically we have heard you and one great thing about sean and i is we listen and we'll leave it at that Yes, you may get a little extra 43 content this season. Okay, thank you so much for listening. We have to go to our day jobs. (laughs) See you next week. Bye. Bye.